Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning, and hopefully you are blessed by that time of worship as we get to kind of sing to the Lord and it primes our hearts to hear from his word. If you have a copy of God's word, I want to invite you to join me in the New Testament letter of Philippians. That's going to be our text this morning. We're going to be in chapter three as we continue on in our series called Life in the Tension. And as you're finding your way to Philippians 3, I just want to reiterate uh, the announcement that Brendan made at the end of the Salem Heights Today video. We do have a a great partnership with Camp Agape. Uh, They do an amazing work serving kids who have a parent in incarceration, a parent in prison. And that this summer, as they have for many years, they're gonna be putting on a camp for these kids out in Turner at Camp Aldersgate. And our church has, over the last several years, sent uh, quite a few volunteers to go serve in the kitchen as camp counselors, speakers. Uh, So there's a lot of variety of roles that you could possibly serve. Um, We're just one of many church partners here in Salem. But after the service in our Connect Center, uh, we'll have uh, a person, one of our Salem hiders who's worked with Camp Agape there who can answer questions and even get you signed up to receive more information. Uh, That does not mean you're committed to it, but just you can have more information. So we'd love for you to stop by that if that's something that might interest you or you're looking for a way that you can serve this summer. Well, if you're a guest with us this morning, we are in the middle of our summer series called Life in the Tension. And the whole heart behind this series has been on the topic of apologetics, which is just how do we as Christians give a reason for the hope that exists within us? How do we explain our faith in a kind of a hostile culture? A lot of times we feel like our faith is being pushed back upon. People don't want to hear about our faith. They actually want to remove Christianity from the cultural movement. And so how do we continue to be faithful to our call as the church to communicate God's truth to these people, which is the greatest gift we can give them, the truth that God loves them. He sent his son to die for the sins, be buried and rose again, the the hope that is waiting for them if they'll place their faith in Christ. And so how do we do that when we feel like every time we try to engage the culture, it's kind of like taking a cat out of a tree. It's like scratching us, doesn't want to be messed with. How do we do that? And one of the things that we've been talking about in this series is the importance of not just the truth that we find in God's word being clear, but the tone. The Bible tells us that when we give an answer, when people do ask us, why do you believe that? Why do you hold to that? That we are to do so with gentleness and respect. And it's important for us to have that that measure of grace and truth, which is hard for us sometimes because we don't want to compromise the truth. And yet sometimes without that grace, uh, our truth is going to fall upon deaf ears because they're not going to want to hear it because of just the harsh tone in that. And yet if we just fall on grace and we leave out truth as, as a way to not be offensive or to not really try to make people feel bad, we're actually not giving them the thing that they need the most, which is the truth that God has provided a way for them to have victory over their sins, to be able to have victory over their struggles, to be able to have newness of life, to be able to have answers to the questions that they've always asked but haven't been able to find answers to in culture. So as a church, we want our, our people, our voice to be one that models Christ who came full of grace and truth. And so this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about a topic that I think this is very, very important to have grace and truth when we engage this topic because it's, it's kind of a hot topic. It's a, it's a topic that stirs up a lot of emotions in people and it's a topic of identity. 
And I want to talk a little bit about identity, which is such a vast topic. I mean, there's so many ideas and opinions both inside the church and outside the church. It seems like everybody in our culture is talking about identity and all the different forms of how that, that topic kind of, kind of moves into different areas. People within the church are talking about identity. How do we respond to the cultural views of identity? Because it's so opposite of what the Bible says. Everyone's talking about identity. And so my hope this morning is not to, to you know, give you the silver bullet. This is how you respond to it. Or to be able to answer all the questions. But to, to kind of highlight a testimony that we see in Philippians chapter 3 of the Apostle Paul. That shares and pulls some ideas out of that that can kind of help us as we start that conversation. Because I want us to be able to be thoughtful in our engagement with those who believe something different than ours. Not as a way to try to say, well, your truth is good and my truth is tr- you know, good. And we'll just kind of try to exist with both of our truths being right. But to be able to come into that and, and be able to win an audience. Be able to maybe have them listen to how God's view on this subject is different. And so this morning, my goal is that we would be able to see these kind of ideas pulled out of Paul's testimony that help us inform of what does God see uh, our identity should truly be rooted in. And hopefully be able to give us a starting point to be able to share with people that an identity received is always better than an identity achieved. An identity received is always better than an identity achieved. Would you stand with me as we read our text this morning, Philippians chapter three, we're gonna be in verses seven through 14. And we're going to hear Paul's story of how his identity changed once he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. If you're ready to hear from the word of the Lord, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask God's help as we unpack this passage. God, we just, we love you. We thank you for bringing us here this morning. And as we just begin to make a few observations in regard to how you view this topic of identity, God, would you use it to first minister to our hearts that we would find our identity in the right thing. And that God, we'd be able to know how to thoughtfully engage our culture with this truth, allow them to see that an identity received is better than one that's achieved. God, we pray this and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, there's three ideas that I see here in Paul's testimony that I want to highlight. And the first one is this. Our world is full of identity imposters. What do I mean by that? Well, an, an imposter identity is any kind of identity that, is, that claims that it will bring satisfaction or define us that is rooted in achievement 
or desire. Imposter identities are these achievements and desires that culture says, our culture says, if you achieve this or if you fulfill this desire, you will actually then find your true identity or you will find the most satisfaction. The reality is is that our culture, the cultural norms, the cultural ideas do have an influence in how we view ourselves. One pastor put it like this, Every culture provides a way for how you achieve a sense of self and a sense of worth. It directs its members to a form of identity in a particular way. It doesn't ask your permission or tell you what it is doing. And it doesn't do it through books or bullet points, but through songs, stories, and slogans. This author is suggesting that our culture does try to influence what we would define as our identity. It kind of lays a grid out for us by which we measure our success or our achievements or our desires. And it tells us if this is true for you, then this is how you should act and respond. And oftentimes it happens without us even realizing it because they don't just come out and say, read this brochure and this is why we want you to think this way. It's just, it, it, it infiltrates every aspect of culture. It's in our music, it's in our shows. It's in the slogans and taglines on every commercial that we see. It's this individualistic view of man. See, the modern understanding of identity is that you, at your essence, at your core, are whatever you desire. And so your greatest desire then is what you should live out because that is your true identity. And we see this in the different ways that uh, things are marketed for our attention or things are promoted or the stories that we tell. I heard a a short little parable that uh, someone offered to try to explain the impact of culture on our minds that we don't even realize. It was about two young fish. So these two young fish one day were swimming along and they happened to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? The two young fish continue to swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of the fish looks at the other and says, what is water? The point of this little parable is the idea that these two young fish, they've only known water. They've they've always existed in water. This is all they've ever known. And they didn't even know that it was called water and they didn't even know that it was impacting them. They just, it's always been. And this is what happens in our culture is that these ideas of identity and how we should think and how we should live and what we should be achieving, what we should be striving after are so immersed in all the things that we just come in contact with living in our culture that if we're not aware of it, we will easily be impacted by those thoughts and ideas. Traditional thoughts of identity, uh, you know, earlier on, back in the 20th century would have been ideas like, you are what you do. You are your responsibilities. So there were different roles in society and we were supposed to fulfill those roles. And if we achieved those roles, then that was our identity. That was where we found our self-worth. As society continues to move along, it's changed from that traditional view of identity into a modern view that says you are your feelings. And so you don't really need to try to kind of go along with the status quo or fulfill what society says about you. You determine what you say about you. And society better get on board or else they're the oppressive ones. They're the ones that need to be canceled. Within this struggle of trying to define what an identity is or what your identity is, it's led many people to believe that, well, who am I and what am I supposed to do and what's my purpose is gonna be found in looking inside. In fact, one article said that a recent study showed 91% of Americans agree with the statement, the best way to find yourself 
is by looking within yourself. Now, this ideology that we see in our culture actually plays to our flesh. I mean, on the surface, it sounds good, right? It it gives us all the control. It allows us to have the freedom to choose to do whatever we want to do, to be whatever we want to be, that we get to choose our identity and we can live out whatever we think we want to do and what we've been created to do because who knows us better than ourselves? But in reality, it's short-lived, It doesn't provide what it says. These identity imposters that the world offers are shallow, they're hollow, they're shadows. And in fact, this idea that there is a life and an identity and a purpose outside of God's will that is greater than the one that he has created for you is a lie that we see all the way back in Genesis chapter three, the very beginning of human history when the serpent is talking to Eve in the garden and man and woman have been created in God's image. They've been given dominion over all of God's creation. They've been given this beautiful privilege to steward God's creation, to enjoy it fully. And the serpent says, did God really say this? He just doesn't want you to have something else. There's another way to live that's actually better. He's holding out on you. This continues to be the challenge for us is when culture tries to tell us that what God has defined, what God has created, what God has said is actually an option and oftentimes it's not the best option. Really, you should figure that out for yourself. In Philippians chapter three, our text today, we we see a picture of Paul's transition. For most of us who've grown up in the church and remember the fact that Paul's name actually used to be Saul before he was called by God and commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to all the non-Jewish parts of the world, Paul was actually named Saul and he was a tormentor of the early church. He went from town to town trying to find anyone who professed faith in Christ and persecuted them putting them in prison. He was uh, responsible for the death of certain ones who professed faith in Christ. He was, he was actually enemy number one to the early church. And then one day he's on, on a trip to go find more Christians in a place called Damascus and he has an encounter with Christ that changes his life forever. And not only is he saved, God gives him a new name and he gives him a new calling. And so now Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian people and he refers to his life prior to Christ. In the first couple of verses of chapter three, he talks about how he was born into the right families and he had earned the right kind of credentials when it came in regards to the law and obedience to the Old Testament scriptures. Like he had become a Pharisee. He was a a religious expert and and in accordance to his own individual obedience to the law, he said he called himself blameless. He's like, I fulfilled it perfectly. So when it came to like achievements, Paul's list was like, Exhibit A of like, if you were gonna be at the top of the food chain, the top of the mountain, a guy who achieved this great success by society standards, he met those marks. And then if you were to kind of look at Paul's life as far as like his identity being rooted in his desires and his ability to achieve what he desired, he said, when it comes to my zeal, that passion I had to persecute the church and to do this thing, there was none more zealous and none more successful. So if you look at an identity rooted in achievement or fulfilling your desires, Paul says, I had it all. If that's what life was really about, then I was was in a pretty good spot. 
And for a lot of us in the room this morning, that is the same struggle, that is the same desire that we have. We're we're, we're going after an identity, we're going after a life that's rooted in our achievements, what we can attain, or it's totally focused on living out the desires that are so strong inside of us. And our whole self-identity, our self-view, our self-worth is rooted in whether or not we've been successful in attaining those goals or if we failed to attain those goals, but there's a burden on each side of that. When we seek to fulfill our own identity or create a life of our own, we either become extremely arrogant or extremely depressed. And so Paul has this encounter and then we see this beautiful verse in verse seven. Here's what Paul says, all that significance and achievement and fulfilling of his desires amounted to. He said, but everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Everything that was gained, everything that I achieved on my own was all outward. Everything that I had done was all by my merits and abilities. It was my attempt at self-righteousness. And now when I look at that, in comparison to what I now have in Christ, I consider it a loss. That idea here is that I actually consider it a liability. I love that little explanation because when I consider the things that I can accomplish on my own as liability, what it's saying is I can kind of, I can actually have some success. You know, some of us, some of us have talents and skills and opportunities where we are actually able to achieve quite a bit. And, and when we do those things in our own power, it can actually begin to actually start to convince us that I made that happen. That is because of me, that's mine. And Paul is saying, anytime I let my own self-achievements bleed into my mind and start to impact how I view things, it's a liability. Cause what's it going to do? It's gonna rob me from fully knowing and appreciating and loving what I actually am in God's eyes, who, by the way, gets to determine my identity because he created me uniquely, specifically, purposefully. And so he says, I consider all that a loss. Why would he say that? Well, not only is it a liability, I think he found that it actually didn't provide what it said. It was an imposter. It did not give him true security or provision or self-worth. It was an imposter. And I think the warning that I want us to hear this morning is there's a lot that our culture is trying to convince us to think in regards to this topic of our identity, who we are, what we were created for, what's our purpose. The culture wants to tell you what that is and how to find that. But their, their ideas do not align with what God actually says. They're imposter identities. But the second thing I think that I wanna highlight from this text is that identity shaped by the gospel is a paradox. You see, what he goes on to highlight here in the text is that he has a new identity that was formed in a completely different way than his original identity. Look at verse eight, it says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Then listen to his goal. My goal is to know him 
If you mark in your Bible or highlight in your, your digital Bible, I mean, that, to, my goal is to know him. That is my purpose. That is my, the reason I exist is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, the culture says this is how identity is formed, but what scripture says is that, no, there's actually another way. But the way that your true identity is discovered is in a complete opposite way. It's a paradox from what culture would tell you. It's not about accepting the, the ideas of, and identities and beliefs of the people around you. You know, these are the, the roles that culture says you're supposed to fulfill and your identity is just fulfilling those. And it's not by looking deep inside and just figuring out the desires that you have inside. No, the, the, the identity that God wants you to have is shaped and informed by the gospel. It's an identity that is given. As Paul continues to give his testimony, he's like, you know, I came to the point where I realized that everything that I had gained in my own abilities was nothing. It was compared, it was worthless. It was a loss. It was a liability compared to what I have now in Christ. But then he keeps going. But he's like, but now as I continue to walk forward in my faith, I see that everything, whether I gained it or not, if it's not Christ, it's in the way. And I want to push it aside. Because here is what I want. I want to know him. That's my purpose. That's why I've been created, to be in fellowship with him. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dunks that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What Paul is not saying here is like, I've considered all the things I accomplished in myself as rubbish and I'm now gonna live in this way in order to hope that I'll actually earn my salvation and earn God's acceptance. No, what he's saying is that when he says, I wanna gain Christ, he's saying, I'm removing anything that gets in the way from me being fully focused on him and to go as deeply as I can in that relationship. It's not about adding. Discovering your identity in Christ isn't about like getting saved and then trying to add on all these things that we have in him to kind of create a new identity. It's actually about going deeper into him and knowing what he is. The Bible says that everything has been given to us in Christ that we need for life and godliness. There's nothing more that can be added. It's all been made available through faith in the gospel. To gain him was his goal, to know him was his goal. You see, Paul is trying to show us that our true identity, who we truly are, what we were made for, what our purpose is, is not come through achieving the Christian life. It's discovering the life that we already have in Christ. Sarah Barrett, in an article that she wrote for the Gospel Coalition talking about this identity crisis said this, Understanding who we are in Christ is critically important, but beginning a theology of identity with who we are leaves out the most important piece of the story, who God is. When our default responses to important questions of identity focus more on us than on God, we settle for answers that mimic the world's self-focused approach. What is she trying to suggest? Is that if we hear that, hey man, the culture's trying to get us to see ourselves this way and trying to get us to define our identity by its own set of systems that are not good for us. So let's just get in the word of God and let's just start studying who I am in Christ. It's saying that is a good thing. Those promises are true. Everything he says for, that he's given to those who are in Christ is absolutely true and it is what we hold on to. But he says that's not the starting point of actually discovering your identity. It's actually knowing him. And that's what Paul is highlighting here. He doesn't say, 
I wanna know all about who I am in Christ. He says, I wanna know him more. I wanna know, I wanna relate to his sufferings, his resurrection, be conformed to his death, experience his resurrection. You see, Paul is saying, I am now convinced that an identity is not something to be achieved, it's something to be received. John Stott, a theologian and author, wrote this. He said, the astonishing paradox of Christ's teaching and of Christian experience is this. If we lose ourselves in following Christ, we actually find ourselves. True self-denial is self-discovery. And that is countercultural. That is countercultural to say that if you really want to discover your identity, who you are, why you, why you exist, and what you've been created to do, it's not about self-discovery, it's about self-denial. It's about actually putting yourself on the side to say, I wanna know Christ. And as we focus on Christ and get to know him more, everything about who we are and why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing becomes clear. This is what Jesus was alluding to when he says in Matthew 10, 39, anyone who finds his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. You see, the gospel offers real answers to the questions of identity. And it removes the burdens that we assume when we try to create an identity of our own. Because let's say we set out to achieve this identity. I want to be, I want to be this. I want to have this. I want to do this. I want to achieve these desires. Experience that. Let's say that we're actually able to do that. There's no freedom in that. What we actually take on in that moment is the burden to maintain that. And we actually assume a little bit of a fear that we don't want to squander it or lose it. Or what do we have to do to maintain it? No, an identity that is received is better than one that is achieved because it removes the burden and it settles the soul. And so if you want to know what your true identity is in the gospel, it's a paradox. It's not about self-discovery. It's about self-denial. It's about knowing him more, not knowing more about yourself but that's available to us because of Christ. And it offers us this last hope and this last point for our morning. When our identity is sure, our purpose is clear. Verse 12, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Man, what an amazing statement. That's a desire that I, I want to sense that I've been taken, held, I'm being held by my Savior. He says, this is my new goal. It's to know him more. It's to take hold of this opportunity that I have to actually get to know my Savior experientially on this side of heaven. John 17 tells us that Eternal life is not just something that kicks into action the moment we take our last breath here and step over into an everlasting life with our Savior. Eternal life begins the moment you place your faith in the gospel because it's now the supernatural ability for you to experientially know your Savior. The word here that talks about knowing him more is the Greek word gnosko, which has an idea of an experiential knowledge. It's not like an impersonal knowledge where I read about this person and I know them. It's like, no, I actually have personal relationship with them. I've spent time with them. That's what's now available for you and I in Christ Jesus. We can know our God intimately, 
now. And once we understand our identity, it makes the purpose of our life very clear. It's not to achieve more, but to grow deeper in our knowledge of Christ. To have a relationship with him is our new purpose. I don't know about you, but this topic of identity has been one that I've wrestled with for most of my adult life. Desiring to be the person that God created me to be. But like many of us, I've struggled to kind of assign my identity to what I do. And I've, and I've struggled with that because you know what's happened in my life? What I do as a job or as a profession has changed. If you've ever gone through a life transition where a job changes or family dynamics change, if your identity is rooted in that, man, it, everything starts to crumble. Like then what am I? Who am I? What, what's, what's up? What's down? Where do I go next? Because we put the whole weight of our identity and security on something that we had or attained or achieved rather than something that's fixed and immovable and certain and never changes, which is God. And so I was wrestling with this, even as recently as the last couple of years, trying to go, you know, what, what God, what have you created me to do? Am I doing it? I don't want to look back and go, man, I was totally going in the wrong direction when I should have been doing this. And I had two godly men that I was working through this with and sharing this with, and they asked the question, well, who are you? What are you? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And they lovingly took the moment to say, no, no, that's your assignment. Who are you? What are you? See, I had wrongly begun to put my identity in my assignment, which is just another version of me trying to put it in what I can achieve or what I can do for God. And what they kindly and lovingly reminded me of was this, no, no, your identity is a child of God. You're a child of God. Your assignments can change. In fact, for most of us, they do change. Your assignments for, you know, the, the, the days where you're raising kids to just kind of encouraging your kids as they grow up and move out of the home. The, the days where you work in this job and then you change jobs, maybe even within the same company, where you live in one state or move to another state. You're part of one church and then you go to another church. Where you're at and, and where God leads you, your assignments can change. But if your identity is in Christ as his child, nothing, nothing rocks you the same way because who I am never changes. I am settled and secure in that reality. I'm a child of God. John chapter one, verses 12 and 13 says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. Listen to this, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Our identity as a child of God is not based on something we've achieved, something we've earned, or something that was just passed down to us through an inheritance. It is received because we have placed our faith in Christ and now our identity is fixed. We are his child. And if I know that's my identity, you know what my purpose is? What should I be doing with my life? Whatever he assigns me in that moment, I'm gonna go do as his child and I'm gonna learn about him. I'm gonna know him more in that. That's my goal. Whatever I'm doing is not my identity. My identity is a child of God. But what I get to do 
what he's assigned me to do, what he's gifted me to do. He's gifted me and he's assigned me and he's given me that invitation to do that job or, or live in that area or raise that family because that's where he wants to show himself to me the fullest. That's where I will get to know him more. And so many times we're like, he's given us this assignment where he's saying, this is the environment, this is the stage where I'm gonna show you myself and reveal myself and you're gonna get to know me and become more settled in who you are in me. And we say, no, no, I wanna go do this because that's what'll make me happy. That's the calling I want. That's the identity I want. He says, no, your identity is subtle. Why are we still arguing about this? Will you just trust me here? Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, summarizes this idea like this. The wraparound category of your life is not your performance, but God's love. The defining hallmark of your life is not your cleanness, but his embrace. The deepest destiny of your life is to descend ever deeper with quiet yet ever increasing intensity into the endless love of God. When our identity is sure, our purpose is clear. We're able to go deeper into our knowledge and relationship with God. That's our purpose. It's countercultural. It's a paradox because it's not about achievement. It's an identity that we've received. But the culture rejects this idea oftentimes. Why? Because it, it actually feels like, well, no, I want to have the say. I want to be able to determine what I'm going to be, who I want to be, and what I want to do. And for a lot of our culture, they misunderstand the biblical view of identity because they see it as oppressive or restrictive. But what we see throughout the scriptures over and over again is that God always starts with an invitation, not a prohibition. God always starts with an invitation, not a prohibition. And the gospel is no different. He invites us into a relationship with God. He invites us to receive this identity as his, his child. He removes confusion and the weight and the frustration that comes with trying to find ourselves. He invites us into that. And so the starting point for engaging our culture on this topic of identity, no matter where that, that conversation goes into all the vast different parts of this topic the greatest starting point, I think, for the believer to engage a culture in grace and truth is to try to address the misunderstanding that God is not trying to put a prohibition on your life by inviting you to see his view of your identity. He's inviting you to see you as he designed you and created you. And then there's the choice. Will we believe him and take him at his word? Or will we believe that age-old lie that the serpent fed Eve said there's actually something better than what God has designed for you. An identity received is better than one that is achieved. The question for us this morning is, who are you? What are you? This morning we have the opportunity to take communion together, the Lord's Supper. And if you came in, you picked up uh, they were passing these out at the door. If you didn't get one, you came in a door and maybe we missed you, our uh, ushers would love to be able to grab uh, one of these for you and bring it to you discreetly to your chair. So you're welcome just to slide your hand up real quick. But if you're new to our church, uh, communion is something that followers of Christ do. 
uh, in obedience to his word. And it's, it's an it's a activity we participate in to remember something that's been done for us that's very significant. Uh, the juice and the wafer, the bread, represent elements of Christ's crucifixion, his sacrifice on our behalf. The sacrifice that he made that enables us to be his child, to have an identity secure and a purpose so clear. And he came and he did that, it says in the scriptures, so that all who would believe would be able to be called a child of God who would receive that truth. And so his desires that you would hear what he did for you and that you would believe on that gospel for your salvation, that you would see your need for a savior, that none of that thing that you could achieve or do on your own could ever satisfy the sin problem that separates you from God. And yet Christ has done something for you on your behalf that he offers freely, that by believing in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. You have a child of God. So this morning, if, if you're here and you're maybe a guest or you don't have a relationship with Christ, we're glad that you're here. Don't feel pressured to participate in this. But if what's been talked about this morning, about this identity and, and, and where you find your value and who you are and who gets to have that say, if something inside of you is stirring, say, I've been, I've been pursuing and achieving something on my own. I've been trying to live out these great, these desires that are inside me that are so great, and yet I'm not satisfied. I'm not, help. They, they're not meeting the mark. They are shadows. They are hollow. They are not giving me what they say they're going to give me. I'm gonna say it's because you're looking for your identity in the wrong place. And this morning, you have the opportunity to respond by faith to Christ and say that I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins, was buried and rose again, and to have your identity changed forever. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you to just talk to God, to pray to him. And if you want help on knowing what that looks like and how to do that, we would love to pray with you at the end of the service. But for some of us this morning, we, we already have faith in Christ and we, uh, we've, we've taken communion maybe our whole lives. Bible is really clear that we shouldn't approach this time in a service with just kind of a, kind of nonchalantly, you know, just flippantly, but that we should be reflective, that we should really be considering what it is that we're remembering, the body that Christ came, the physical body that he, that he came and he lived on earth and that took the beating and was put to death on our behalf and the blood that was shed for our sins. But the reality is you might be convicted right now that you haven't been pursuing your identity in Christ, you've been pursuing it in something else. And I just wanna read a quote to you that expresses how God views you right now, that's your story. If you've been pursuing an identity outside of Christ. It says this, whether you have ignored it, neglected it, squandered it, misunderstood it, or hardened yourself to it, the Lord Jesus Christ approaches you today, not with arms crossed, but with arms open, the very position in which he hung on the cross. The worship team's gonna lead us in a little bit of music to prepare our hearts and minds to take communion. But if that is you this morning who says, you know what, I, the Spirit of God is convicting me that I've actually been seeking an identity and achievement or in my desires and not in Christ. What God's word says is he's waiting for you to turn back to him, to repent 
from that to come to him and say, Father, I'm sorry. And you will find him, not with arms crossed, saying it, but you better mean it this time, but with arms open saying, come here, you're my child. Climb back up here into my lap. If that's you this morning, take time during this worship song to, to talk to God and to confess that and to work that out and to take the Lord's Supper in a different way this morning, truly thankful for the sacrifice that enables us to be his children.